Ukrainian women are not traditional themselves because if they were traditional, they would go and they would marry a Ukrainian guy. Right? That would be tradition to marry someone from your own culture uh, and not come to the West. Why would you go looking in the West for a traditional guy? Very simple, Connor. Not enough men. You're in Ukraine. You know this, right? Is this Ukrainian bride business owner completely off his rocker now? He's trying to claim that basically there are no or almost no men of marriageable age, marriageable men left in Ukraine, implicitly trying to repeat the pro-Russia propaganda line that, you know, all the Ukrainian men are basically dead or invalided because of the war. Really? In particular, because when Ukrainian women, um, most of them, they left with the war, most of the single women are still outside the country, and most of the men, they can't leave. Absolutely illogical, uh, but, you know, what would we expect any better from this point? So, first of all, Privit is Odessi. I'm here in Odessa, on the shores of the Black Sea in Ukraine, just in Arcadia, the beach area. And in today's video, I mean, I could go into so much, but we're going to limit ourselves to three main points about why the Ukrainian bride business, in particular this guy, Joe, are, they're basically in denial about the reality of what's going on here on the ground. And that's why I'm known as the insider by my clients for this region, because first of all, I'm actually here on the ground. I'm not, you know, commenting on what's going on from, you know, how many thousands of kilometers away is Canada at this point. But I'm actually here in Odessa, in Ukraine. So let's get into it. Poyekale. Privit, and welcome to another episode of the Vodka Vodkas with me, Connor Klein. And in today's episode, I'm going to react to some new myths, or maybe there are some rehashed myths from the Ukrainian bride business and how it relates to the current reality in Ukraine. So I've made a series of these reaction videos over the last, say, 15 months, probably it's maybe around a year, 15 months at this point. And prior to Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine on the 24th of February 2022, there was a massive, but I think already maybe declining Ukrainian bribe business. Over probably a few decades, millions and millions of dollars have been pumped into branding Ukrainian women as these kind of supermodels with the values of your grandma. And basically, they'd be like some sort of Stepford wife. Traditional values is one of the main tropes that you're going to hear from them. And every time now that I go back, maybe every few months, and have a look at what's happening in this industry, I see that one of the main players has either left the industry or pivoted to a different region. So typically what's been happening is Ukrainian bride business owners have focused on other uh, geographical regions in the world, um, mainly Asia and Latin America. So countries like Thailand, the Philippines, Costa Rica, Mexico, Colombia is now a big one. And they pivoted away because, well, with the current Russo-Ukrainian war, um, there are a few things that happen. One is obviously travel to the region is a lot more difficult than it was prior to 2022. There's no direct flights to Ukraine. Uh, there's a war going on. So heading to Ukraine to meet your prospective wife going to be a lot more difficult to put a lot of guys off. And the second one is the fact that the Ukrainian travel document now is so strong that any kind of real reason to have a massive uh, business based around the idea of a Ukrainian bride 
uh, it's kind of become defunct because just like with Estonian Brides, which were a thing back in the 90s, and I played a clip in a previous episode from a mockumentary about that whole uh, industry, which is very similar to what you would have seen in the Ukrainian bride business in the past. Basically, now having a Ukrainian uh, passport means that women can actually just live anywhere in the European Union. Uh, they were for a while getting uh, free visas to Canada, and it's become historically the easiest in at least 100 years for Ukrainian to move to the United States. So don't need to be going to a marriage agency to find a prospective American husband or Canadian husband or for somewhere else they can actually just move there. And basically the premise of the, this kind of matchmaking, international matchmaking we say is that you have women typically from a lower socioeconomic background, a country uh, which has a lot lower socioeconomic, so that's why they've gone to parts of Latin America or to Asia as they pivot, who was looking for a guy from, you know, obviously the higher socioeconomic status country. Plus, she could not, it's hard at least for her to move and just do that on her own. So basically, the premise is you have a green card girl, because the main reason why she's looking for a husband at a marriage agency is get to move to say the US typically, so that's why you have green card. And then the guy, he's looking for a better option uh, normally because the woman happens to be better looking while he can get back home. Uh, they also talk a lot about traditional values, but we'll go back and we'll go once again into that in this episode and debunk it completely. But a lot of it is pretty interesting. Also, I saw that, uh, you know, I'm gonna react to Joe from Match Guarantee. And, you know, he's kind of become synonymous with the Ukrainian bride business because so many other people keep leaving that's almost becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy <laughs> that he may end up being the entire Ukrainian bride business at the end of it. Also, sort of one of his main rivals, one of his former clients, now seems to have gone into kind of more self-development and talking a lot less about the matchmaking. Another indicator that, yeah, it's just not a way for them to make a lot of money overall as, a, as an industry. Of course, if 90% of of the competitors too much guarantee leave the industry, then maybe that very small pie, if he takes all of it eventually, uh, it's still a business. But overall, when I say the Ukrainian bride business, I mean the entire industry in rapid decline over the last two years. So with that caveat, let's get into a few clips and debunk some myths that have been promoted. You project that there will be a shortage. Uh, da, <laughs> da, da, da. Da and duh. Yeah, of course, there is now a shortage. There was a shortage before the war. There's now an extreme shortage. Um, and it's sad, of course, because look at the casualties. Look at the numbers. Duh. The duh would be that most of the women who are single from Ukraine don't live in Ukraine. They left the country with the invasion. So actually, the imbalance is the other way around. There are way more marginal men in Ukraine versus marriageable women at the moment. So this is a typical myth, we'll say, or disinformation that you see a lot on Russian propaganda that all the Ukrainian men have died because, I don't know, one million are dead or injured. You see clowns like Colonel Douglas McGregor saying these ridiculous figures that would actually be even higher than the entire armed forces of Ukraine. Uh, the best indications are that, yeah, tragically maybe Somewhere over 30,000 uh, Ukrainian soldiers have died in this war. That's kind of on the back of an envelope estimate that I made myself. And I saw 
couple earlier this week that another organization came up with the same kind of figure. That's tragically high, but if you've got to think about the fact that 7 million Ukrainians, I think it was 9 million, left the country with the invasion. And because Ukrainian men in general cannot leave if they're a military age, that means that most of them were women, children, and old people. So how many of those women have come back? How many of those were single? I saw that the estimate is about one third of the people who evacuated from Ukraine uh, you know, after February 24, 2022 have returned, which is actually quite high because as a comparison with the Balkans war in the 1990s, after those wars were over, only about one third ever went back apparently to the countries um, in the former Yugoslavia. Um, they mainly had gone as refugees to other parts of Europe. So already one third have come back. But at the moment, just anecdotally, because you know, I can't find, I wasn't able to find any stats that said, you know, they're single women as opposed to women with families, that in general, the women who come back are more likely to have a husband or a boyfriend back in Ukraine. Therefore, they have a bigger incentive to come back to the country than a girl who's single. That said, some have come back, but it's not. Most of them, if I look at my... Look at my Instagram of the girls I know from Odessa, the ones that were single, uh, or from Kyiv, or from Lviv. I would say that, yeah, 70, 80% of those are still somewhere either in the United States or in the European Union. Some of those girls seem to have found local boyfriends, or so one is actually getting married. And, but in general, they're still abroad. So if you look at the imbalance between men and women in Ukraine, just use your brain and a little bit of math. If men can't leave in general, then there's going to be a lot more men, especially single men in Ukraine compared to women. So it's actually pretty good for Ukrainian women in that, that sense that they have less competition, the ones who stay behind, and they have the real men coming back from the front. And I think actually for um, the Ukrainian bride business's demographic, target demographic of men, it's going to be a lot harder to compete with the Ukrainian men going forward, especially uh, in light of this war because, yeah, their own status has been raised by the fact that they are on the front line defending the country. Um, I can't talk about the future. Uh, if this war goes on for a long time, if all the single women come back, would that imbalance change? Well, I'll just have to see how that plays out. Maybe at a certain point, a lot of Ukrainian men will leave the country and go work in the European Union as well. But right now, there is definitely not an imbalance in favor of more single women in Ukraine than single men. It's actually the other way around. There are way more single men than there are single women from what I can see. And you can see it if you go out and socialize in the evening. Now, Joe hasn't been in Ukraine probably at this stage for about two years. So maybe he's just has no idea and he's just reading online just some crazy figures. But use your brain, do a little bit of calculations and you'll know uh, logically it doesn't make sense what he's saying in respect to that. A bell curve of traditionality. The median traditionality number will call from zero to 10. Zero, not traditional at all, like a millennial today. And 10, you know, like a, a Dukabor, you know, completely traditional. How traditional would you put American women? The average American woman, say 30 to 40. Let's look at that age group. I'm going to give American women a one or a two. Ukrainian women. Again, they're not all super traditional. I mean, everybody's different, but I'm going to say either six or seven or seven to eight. I think Joe needs to travel a bit more around the world. If his scale is U.S., Canada is one to two, and then Ukrainians are seven to eight, uh, where is he putting Afghani women 
or Kenyan women or Polynesian women or women from most other parts of the globe. They were like at a, out of 10 at 25 in terms of traditionality. Where are Armenian women? So I'll give him some cuties. At least he tried to plot it out and put it graphically, which is, I guess, a bit of a development. But Ukrainian women are on the traditionality scale a little bit more traditional. They're basically more likely to sacrifice their career for looking after the children. So they're less financially emancipated. And other than that, I and mean, if we include obesity has been part of the traditionality, like lack of obesity, it's kind of a tenuous link. Yeah, Ukrainian women, especially if they're single, uh, he said between 30 and 40 he was talking about, but under 40, they tend to be slim, don't really have a problem with obesity, which you see in a lot of the countries in the Anglosphere, uh, like the US, Canada, uh, UK, uh, Ireland, just there's a lot of obesity of especially younger single women. Uh, so if you connect that with being traditional, fair enough, that's an extra point. But uh, other than that, let, let's look at the history of Ukraine. Ukraine was in the USSR. I can compare it to my home country, Ireland. Joe loves to say that he's of some Irish descent as well. No-fault divorce, abortion, was available decades uh, before Ireland was available in the Soviet Union. Ukraine is part of the Soviet Union. They've grown up with things that are not traditional. Let's see, they became part of the USSR. Uh, would have been, what, 1920s, early 1920s. And then the country became independent in 1991, so the communist system collapsed. But there you kind of had enough enforced emancipation and destruction of traditionality within the Soviet system. So Ukrainian women for several generations have not been traditional whatsoever. In fact, they would have been more modern maybe than women in Ireland for a long time until recently. So you got to look at the, the whole idea that Ukrainian women are traditional. It doesn't make any sense. You know, I always like to quote all the stats. Divorce in Ukraine, it's just part of the culture. It's over 50%. It is higher than other parts of the West. It's higher than in North America. Yes, Ukrainian women are more likely to get divorced. It's not a big, there's not much cultural shame to it. That's not traditional. Fertility rate, one of the lowest in the world since the 1990s has been Ukraine. They don't have more than one or two kids. I think it's about 1.2 is the fertility rate. Maybe it's gone down even further with this full-scale invasion. I'm not really sure about that. We'll have to wait and see the stats. But yeah, it's been about 1.2, 1.3. Again, dramatically lower than a country like Ireland, where I was born. I think there it's probably somewhere between 1.8 and 2 uh, in the last 10, 15 years. So they don't have big families. Again, that would be something we call probably more traditional. Um, religiosity, not very high either in Ukraine. Soviet Union was a you know, atheist state officially, so religion was suppressed for many generations. Uh, the stat, I think it's, it's around 15% of Ukrainians uh, go to church, and it tends to be really the older demographic. It's not the younger people whatsoever. It's very rare outside of a special holiday that you see Ukrainians go to uh, a church, no matter what denomination they're from. What else have we got? We got uh, pr promiscuity rate. Uh, I actually saw a new study that excluded Ukraine, unfortunately, but it had Ireland, Poland, and Russia. Uh, so Poland and Russia, either side, they were more or less the same along with Ireland. So again, uh, not a massive difference in all of these indicators. Now, I never really understand what they're saying about uh, traditional. Are they cooking and cleaning or something? Um, 
can't talk really for 30 to 40 year olds so much, but uh, 18 to 30 year olds, not much more likely to cook and clean uh, in my experience or my clients experience than women in say Ireland, the UK, uh, maybe a little bit more, but it's not massive again. Um, I like to joke here on the channel that Italian men are better cooks and chefs than Ukrainian women. Love that Italian cuisine, but I also love borscht. So in terms of traditionality, I would put Ukrainians, if Americans are one to two, three to four maybe, two to three, three to four, this kind of range. Uh, I mean, he's talking about 30 to 40 year olds. I mean, I guess if you went really, really like um, babusa age, like 60 to 70, maybe they're a bit more traditional, but yeah, again, apples to apples. So are women in say the States are also more likely to be more traditional. I'm not saying that being traditional is good or bad either. I'm just trying to analyze it thoroughly. I wouldn't describe Ukrainian women generally as having traditional values. I'd say they have more princess values uh, where they kind of want to cherry pick a lot of them. And you know, they're all great with uh, the mom paying for everything, but they're not exactly Stepford wives. Divorce is still over 50%, so don't be naive that you won't figure out. Okay, guys, again, feed Connor feeding our fears of what happens in the West. Again, I come back to the same point. You have to become good at choosing wisely. You know, hone those skills to, to, to understand what makes the woman you're dating and going to marry tick what she's all about. That does take time. Don't get married quickly. Minimum one year to to court, right? Um, again, just feeding the fears. Listen, <laughs> feeding the fears, uh, being realistic. <laughs> That's what I'm being. It's just like the premise of this is a green card, metaphorically speaking. And sometimes more than metaphorically speaking, really the girls are interested in a green card. You know, since I made the last reaction video, I actually had a client who came in. It was really interesting. He had been in Odessa in 2008. So it's actually a year before I first went to Odessa. And he had gone with a friend who had been using these matchmakers, uh, marriage agencies, Ukrainian bride business. It was a different agency to Joe's, to be clear. It's uh, quite a famous one, quite a notorious one in Odessa. And it was his fourth the friend of this client of mine, fourth wife hunting trip. And the first three have been successful. He had a wife, two from Ukraine and one from Russia. He was going back for a fourth. What happened to the other three wives? Well, after they got their green card, suddenly they wanted a divorce. Now, obviously this guy, as I said to my client, he, he, he seems to have a little bit of an illness and obsession. Uh, I mean, most people, you know, the first, maybe the second time, they say, yeah, maybe this is not for me. This is kind of a trend, right? That these women, they move to the US. And this guy was very wealthy. He was a hedge fund manager uh, from what he told me. So he had a lot of money. He was out of shape and obese because uh, I asked what the guy looked like. But yeah, so he had a lot of financial resources and the opportunity for these women to move and get their green card. Uh, Amusingly, he also told me that uh, his friend described that the best sex is the three months, is during the three months before she gets her green card. Makes a lot of sense to me. She's so close to achieving that goal. She wants to really keep him happy until she gets her hands in that green card. And then she can discard him and look for 
I guess in her eyes, a better option or <laughs> become single, become a cat lady in the US, but she has what she was looking for. So this guy, imagine he went back for a fourth time, uh, not really in the right mental space in my opinion, but interesting on that trip, my client told me that he failed. He completely failed and he didn't meet a fourth bride. And in the end, he married a Asian immigrant to the US who was a single mom, not a massive age gap, and probably a lot more relatable and obviously didn't need a green card and you know 10 years later they're still together so you know use your <laughs> use your noggin as we say in Ireland use your head uh, if the main premise is that the woman is looking to move to North America uh, the US um, what do you think is highly likely to happen when she gets there and she's got residency and I've said in many other of my reaction videos that I've also had former clients who have been part of a group in Canada where Joe now is with his wife and this is a good few years ago this is like maybe we'll say 15 20 years ago they were part of, he was part of a group of Canadian men who married women from you know Eastern Europe we'll say in general right so from Russia Ukraine Belarus and some of them had met their wives through marriage agencies you know the Ukrainian bride business the Russian bride business or they had just met them organically by coming to the region and he told me that 80% ended up divorced soon after the woman got her green card or her citizenship. So once she had her rights, it didn't work anymore. Uh, so yeah, if you take, if you, the big incentive is to move and to have, you know, that better life in the West, we'll say, inverted commas, in North America, and then she has that, you know, is the guy going to become superfluous to requirements? And how strong is that emotional bond? And Joe's right in a sense that you need to pick carefully. Uh, but if it's starting off from a premise of, hey, my big offer is to move you to the US because his clients are not planning to move to the region, definitely not planning to live, move to Ukraine at the moment, uh, then you're starting off from a very bad space where that's the main premise. Let's be frank about it. It's the ability to move, relocate to Canada or to the US and this is a historical chance to move easily as a Ukrainian to US and that's not going to last indefinitely and this whole industry as I said in my last video my prediction is that they will betray Ukraine ultimately and they will start pitching uh, Russian uh, brides um, at a certain point because Russian women it's a big country um, culturally you can just transpose all that marketing for the Ukrainian brides. There was a period that was like maybe a little bit more than 10 years ago. There's almost as much marketing of Russian brides as there was for Ukrainian brides. I'm not really sure why it suddenly went all in for Ukrainians, but you could probably uh, transpose the same traditional values trope onto Russians. Uh, they don't have the same ability to move to the European Union or to North America clearly at the moment as Ukrainians do. And their socioeconomic uh, situation is likely to decline over the next five to ten years so that's just a direction if, if these Ukrainian bride businesses are going to continue to pitch uh, women from Central and Eastern Europe in any form going forward uh, they need a big country like they're not going to start pitching Moldovan brides probably because yeah it's small and they already have also the rights to leave uh, quite easily from Moldova and live in countries in the European Union. Maybe it's harder for them. It's probably a lot harder for them to go to the US, but they already have like an evacuation plan uh, socioeconomically anyway, so not gonna really work. And it's too small. It's like a population of 3 million. But Russia, 
Its population is uh, it's over is 140 million, plus or minus. So it's a big country, and you can just rebrand that, and that's the direction I see it going in. Ultimately, uh, wouldn't want to be a Ukrainian citizen and pitching uh, Russian brides. Um, possibly going to get you in some legal hot water if you were ever to return to Ukraine. But that said, that's all I can see for this industry uh, if it's going to stay in this region. But you're going to face exactly the same issues in terms of non-traditional values and just really princess values also with Russia. Again, because there were both Russia and Ukraine in the USSR, divorce is normalized. It's as well, just like Ukraine, higher than in North America. So good luck with that. You're going to basically be risking also probably even more likely a green car girl than with Ukrainians. So it's a beautiful fall slash autumn evening here in Odessa Mama. Got the browns, reds and oranges of autumn and still a little bit of that sunshine. It's no longer the Indian summer we had because I've now got a top on. But, <laughs> you know, I was in t-shirts up until just about three days ago. And we're already in November, so pretty mad. And the reality is that the guys who come to me who have used previously a matchmaker normally end up helping them on consulting calls. Very rarely do they become in-person clients. It does happen. And if you are a guy who's interested in working with me in person and living the in-person experience, this is going to be for guys who actually are more likely to be planning to spend time in the region and date the uber beautiful women of the region, 5x their lifestyle, make a load of connections, high level connections, build up a social circle, uh, work on their Instagram and build out that social media because that is actually really important both for business and for dating nowadays. Uh, you know, there's kind of like a saying online in certain quarters that Instagram is like the new Tinder. It's like the, the new way to date online, basically. And that doesn't normally gel with the mindset of guys who use a matchmaker or these marriage agencies or the mail order bride businesses. It's kind of drugly referred to. They're looking to import a wife to uh, their home country. They're not interested in living in the region. A lot of them don't even like Ukraine or um, Russia. Well, it's fine not to like Russia at the moment, for sure. Uh, or anywhere else where they're hunting for wives, whether that's the Philippines or Thailand or somewhere in Latin America. They're only interested in the women. It's the only reason they're there. But that is not the mindset of the guys who come and live the in-person experience with me. We are looking to help you 5X your lifestyle. And of course, part of that is dating beautiful women. But it's not just about that. Obviously, you want to move to a country where you're actually going to enjoy living in at least part of the year. I will say three to 12 months. You want to be planning really spend at least three months. And down below is an application form for the Zara experience. Now, I'm not currently bringing clients for the in-person experience to Ukraine and obviously not to Russia or to Belarus. Uh, maybe, fingers crossed, in 2024, the situation will improve and I will be bringing clients here again to cities like Odessa or Kyiv, Lviv, uh, or Kharkiv, which was probably the most popular city back in 2021. Ironically, <clears throat> now, of course, it is a little too close to Russia and has been shelled quite heavily in the city center. So for probably about the last, how long is it at this stage? It's over a year, maybe 15 months. I have been bringing my clients to live in alternative countries. And we have been living 
This is our experience, the in-person experience there. So we have been going to cities like amazing Almaty in Kazakhstan. Yes, we're still gonna count this as being in Europe, even though it's obviously very far east. A little bit of Kazakhstan is in Europe geographically. And when you get there, especially the big cities like Astana and Almaty, you will see that it's about 15% European and 85% Asian. And Almaty in particular is just like a beautiful place. It's really amazing. I refer to it as Almaty the Almighty. It's got beautiful mountains nearby. You can go skiing in the winter, which is actually what we plan to do in December when I go back with my, my clients. And then in the summer, you can enjoy the canyons, the lakes, and those beautiful mountains, obviously, when there's no snow on them or very little snow. And the city is just full of really friendly Kazakhstanis. The party scene is pretty good and quality of life is super high. It's not some backwater uh, like maybe people think from the film Borat from over 20 years ago. It's nothing like that whatsoever. That film was even shot in Romania in a pretty poor village. It was not even shot in Kazakhstan. So Kazakhstan is pretty phenomenal. Also been going to Warsaw, the capital of Poland. We've had a lot of Ukrainians who've uh, gone to live in Poland because it's nearby. It's a big country and at least the language is reasonably similar. Ukrainian and Polish are not super far apart and people can be close to Ukraine. So it's full of Ukraine. It's also got a huge diaspora Belarusians as well as the local pretty Poles. So it's actually a pretty interesting place. I have to say for me, it's the capital of New Europe, as I've been calling it, uh, which is this area in between the Russian Empire. The Russian sphere of influences is basically Russia and Belarus. And of course, until we get to about Germany, we'll say we can call that New Europe uh, in different formats. Let me just walk on. We get to enjoy this guy in his saxophone. Da, 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 da. Next up, we've been going to Riga in Latvia. It's on the shores of the Baltic Sea. A bit colder than it is here in the shores of the Black Sea. Here, obviously, the weather is better, but uh, Latvia does have some of the tallest people in the world and some of the blondest people in the world. So it is full of leggy blondes. So if that's your preference and you prefer the kind of old world historic city center, smaller city vibe than Riga is really interesting. Could be a good fit for you. And then finally, just up the road in crazy Chisinau, Mad Moldova. It's probably the closest you're gonna get in terms of feel to Ukraine, what actually being in Ukraine, even though the people speak Romanian, it is pretty similar culturally, I would say, to here in Ukraine. It's a lot closer than the other countries that I mentioned. And I've been having many, many trips there. Even though the city is not the big Chisinau and it doesn't have the best reputation, the architecture, don't go for the architecture, put it that way. But a bit like here, it's got beautiful parks and it's got a very vibrant social scene. A lot of, uh, a lot of Moldovans have been coming back since COVID actually, reinvesting in the country and bringing back their expertise. And it's just kind of blossoming as a city. In particular, compared to how it looked five, six years ago, it has been radically upgraded. And in terms of the social life, it is pretty much a good bet. So those are the cities that I'm currently bringing my clients to. So if you're interested in any of those, down below is the application form. And maybe it'll be you with me 
on the in-person experience pretty soon in one of those cities. And in the words of Canuck, ice hockey great. Obviously, Joe himself is Canadian, keeps trying to claim to be Irish. I'm a little bit skeptical about that, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on his origins <laughs> uh, in terms of his lineage, where he hails from before. His family is, well, at one point emigrated to Canada. But anyways, he knows who Wayne Gretzky is. Kinnock, ice hockey legend of Belarusian, Ukrainian, and Polish origins. And he said you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So down below is the application form. And on this beautiful evening here in Odessa, Mama, I bid you a dopobacina, slava Ukraini, rom slava, do peremohi. Sar Experience.